This podcast is brought to you by Green and Black's Velvet Edition, a delicious range of sumptuously smooth dark chocolate. Roisin Ingle and you are very welcome to Back to Yours, a podcast where I talk to some big names about their houses, snoop in their drawers and find out all about the homes they've lived in. I think we've all got a bit of a nosy streak, I know I definitely have and this is a chance to hear how some very interesting people live. I'll ask burning questions like are they more Lionel Messi than Marie Kondo and can a home ever have too many lamps? Coming up in season one, I go back to yours with Amy Huberman, Dermot Bannon and Dolly Alderton. But today I am talking to the brilliant Marion Keyes, one of the most successful Irish novelists of all time, whose 13 books, including Watermelon, Rachel's Holiday and more recently The Break, have been translated into over 30 languages. But it was amazing, it was thrilling. Like, A, it was a squat. Do you know, I mean, I kind of need say no more. I just thought, my God, I'm so edgy. Like, this is fabulous. She lives in Dunleary County, Dublin, in a turquoise-coloured house with her husband, Tony, a.k.a. himself. We had a great time in Marion's house. I'm so glad she agreed to appear on the launch episode of Back to Yours. We started with a little tour of her house where Marion describes her own unique interior decorating style. I suppose I'm one of those... um, I have very kitsch tastes, you know, I'm very kind of pathetic, a very, very undergraduate tastes. Like Anthony, Anthony, that is a thing, but looks like something else. I really like, you know, like handbags that look like houses or flower pots or, you know, or obviously chairs that looks like T-shirts or shoes. I've got a shoe chair upstairs. A shoe chair? Yeah, like a chair in the, the, the shape of a platform shoe. And speaking of the chairs, I have to oh, describe yes, yes, them. Yes, yes, yeah. They look like there's black and white stripes, but they're chairs in the shape of T-shirts. Yeah, they're like Breton striped T-shirts. Like they've got little sleeves on them. And also, can I just mention your dog wallpaper? Yes, it's... Um, there's lots it's, of different dogs. Yeah. Poodles and, and greyhounds. Greyhounds, dash hounds, uh, scary ones. Bulldogs, but I should tell people it? it's very subtle. They're yeah. all in shadow. It's yeah. not as it's, it's not it's as like a, a silhouette. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, a cameo brooches of yeah. dogs. Or something yeah, like it's that. not like it's obvious. No, um, which disappoints me. Um, <laughs> I would prefer it to be more in your face. So yeah, I like to get crappy old furniture and paint it beautiful colours and distress it and give it lovely knobs and things. And actually, if you just turn around here behind you, there's this beautiful press. It's old, it's mahogany looking, um, and it's got lovely curvy legs in it. And I stole that off Liz Nugent. <laughs> um, actually, I didn't steal it. I was in her house and I said, Christ, that's a lovely press because I'd love to paint it silver or pink. And she said, oh, please take it. They were dying to get rid of it. So it's here. And uh, whenever I get a chance, I'm going to get out the old paints and and make it lovely. Now, we're going into the good front room now. Okay, good front. This is the good room. This here is, um, it's very over the top. It's got a lot of um, gold and red and twirly things. Very rococo. Would you say? Would you call that rococo? Gold. um, Yeah, like it really changes my mood. If I lived in one of those um, concrete floors and white walled places, it would lower me. So, like, I love colour. And people come in and they think, Jesus Christ. <laughs> but I, 
I just think it's only paint. What harm? Like, if you paint it and it scares you, paint it white. But here, do you see, is the first thing I ever bought. This is a couch that I bought with the first royalty check I ever got. Oh. And that was, like, about 23 years ago, 23 or 24. But I remember when I bought it, this, like, it was a long time ago, I had to roll down the car window on the way home because I thought I was going to puke because I'd never spent so much money on anything. Oh, we should talk about this oh, yeah. lovely picture. Okay. There's a painting on the wall in the hall and it's of a Serbian snow scene. <laughs> and... um I bought it in Serbia, I think about 12 years ago, and then almost got arrested at the airport. Because, yeah, like we got taken mm. off to some underground offices where they took our passports because apparently you need some sort of, um, uh, a, what's that thing, license like a license to, to, to yeah, export. Yeah. Like it was dirt cheap, do you know, like, but they were acting like we were smuggling out antiquities. <laughs> Overlooking your lovely garden, which we should mention, yeah. it's very nice. There's a lovely pool, a pond. Yeah, a pond. Oh no, what's it? A, a water, water feature. feature. <laughs> yeah. Although once again, the nephews on the hot days have to be persuaded that it's not a swimming pool. <laughs> um, and also out there are some gnomes. Do you see them? There's three gnomes. Um, so there was one morning we came down and the gnomes had been defiled. Um, a fox had got into the garden and and had its way with them. There was one like head down in the water feature and another one had been broken. And it was obviously something te- like it was like, you know, stumbling on the scene of a of a disaster after after the dust had just settled. <laughs> now, where are we going now? We're going to see. There's now some leopard print wallpaper yes. in a grey. Yes, a gray silver, print. silver, silver. So sorry, silver. silver. Yeah. I should really not be doing yeah. the podcast about houses. I get um, everything wrong. I love it. It's, it's like leopard print, but yeah. it's silver glitter. Yeah. And it's only in a small area, so that if somebody came into the house and they were aghast, <laughs> it's not every wall. They don't have that to be way. there for very long. Exactly. Come in, come in, come in. Most people wouldn't have a room like this now. Describe this room to us. Okay, it's sort of, right, my bedroom isn't there and this was the bedroom next to it, but we attached the two. And I don't know how to describe this because it's going to sound like I'm, you know, (laughs) crazed with ego, but I have shelves here on both sides of the room that have all the different versions of my books in different countries with, you know, different colours and different covers and, and different languages. And... Anyone who didn't know me would think that I spend all my time swanking around in here going, oh, look at me and all my fabulous books. But like, I, I literally don't see them because you know the way when you're around something all the time, you don't even look. But it's also because you've got loads of other things around the books. Yeah. So it's a half a bookshelf. And, and then half also a kind of a museum of my life. A curiosity shop yes. of your life. Yes. Now, I'm, I'm bringing you into the bathroom now. You've loads of storage in your bathroom as well. Yes. That's really yeah. cool. But I have actually managed to fill it all up because... <laughs> like you've three kind of almost yeah. long cabinets that Where you... Where I show you all my tablets? Oh. Come down. You have to see it's your tablets. Now. If no deal breaks, it happens. We'll be flying it. Like, look, if anybody needs something, come and see me if you need antidepressants. <laughs> if you need plasters, if you need Senecon, if you need pain collars, killers, anything at all, rehydration salts, like come and see me. You know, don't Dr. worry. Keys will Dr. See you Keys now. will see you right. Now I'm looking at your right uh, now. Where is your nail varnishes? Oh, it's in the wardrobe. It's funny. Um, Hannah, who is 19 months, was over yesterday. It was the first time she'd seen the nail varnish, and she's like a wild animal. She was in there, and she was like grabbing at them, and I was like, "Good girl, now, Hannah. Hannah, good girl, give it to me now. That's right. We we'll just Hannah put this way." Hannah doesn't yet realize. No. And she's like, tearing she "Doesn't the know what she's dealing with." Jesus Christ, the good box, Hannah. Do you mind? <laughs> Is a painting that my sister Katrina um, got done, 
of a holiday in Italy that we had a year and a half ago, many, many of the keyses. And They're so, here. yeah, so it's loads of different scenes from the week we had away. And it's just really, things like that make me really happy. Like, that's what I want in my home. Things that are personal and things that remind me of happy things. Um, you know, I don't see the point in having something that doesn't spark joy. Except I would never say that, no, because I'm so again the condoing. Um, I, I believe in, in clutter. I love clutter. Um, I yeah, love I saw it yeah, upstairs with yeah, all their bits and bobs. Yeah, you know, it's fun. Clutter is lovely. Yeah. Because it's like a treasure hunt. Like, you never know what you're going to find. <laughs> now we're back in the, the, the telly room. This is quite a big place. telly with a lovely yeah. sound system, I can see. That's Tony's, that Tony's yeah, thing. Is, he, yeah. he knows all about yeah. the sound. But I do really, really care about my telly. Like, it, it keeps me happy. Like, yeah. it's re- like sincerely, it that does. That and the pills. Up and the, the pills. The load, the, between the pills and the telly, I'm grand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> On an even keel. Right, we'll sit down, so. Marion, thanks for showing me around your home. Tell me the story of when you moved into this house. Okay, it was 22 years ago and this is the first property I've ever owned. And at the time I was living in London, I was married to himself, but we had decided to move back to Ireland. And it was really weird because at the time it was, you know, the the Celtic Tiger was in full kind of boom. Yeah. And house prices were, you know, going, like we had no idea that they were going to go much, much, much higher. But we had a budget and... We looked at houses all over Dublin and um, we were sort of, we didn't want to live in this area because it's really near my mother. Um, <laughs> because, you know, we just, you know, like, like the funny a bit th- of distance. Yeah, a little, a little bit of distance would have been good. But like the funny thing is, you know, in all the time I've been here, she's come over here about three times and she like, she's in complete denial that any of her children have left home and to visit their house is sort of a, it, it makes, it smashes that little bubble that she has chosen to live in. And it makes her realise, oh Christ, they have, they have actually left home. Um, but yeah, so she, she hardly ever comes over here. But I'm actually so glad now that I live near. This was the one we ended up affording. This is the one we, we got. And as I said, I knew nothing about north-facingness or uh, those things people talk about. Like I hadn't a clue. And, and Tony wasn't much better, but... When we bought it, it was a B&B. So it had loads of tiny bedrooms. And the room that's Tony's office now was the place where you have your breakfast. <laughs> and so it was all these kind of little card tables with paper napkins did, folded. Did the, in. So was all, were all the, fir- the, all the bits of furniture were here as well? Yes, mm. and it was all painted brown. Like oh. it was really, really grim. Did it have a name of the B&B? Yeah, what was it? Willowmere. Oh. Yeah, I mean, even after the first couple of years, we used to get people calling, <laughs> like late at night, looking for a bed. Um, so it took us, like we did a lot of changing you know like the kitchen was like a series of kind of holes under the ground it felt like you know there were all these sort of brown caves and so we put in French windows like it got in as much light as possible once the whole thing of the north facingness had dawned on me and we've been here ever since when we bought it we had been hoping to have the babies and and we haven't you know so I suppose it's bigger than than we need I love it here so much. And now and again, you know, we've thought about moving, getting something smaller or whatever. And it's, I'm walking distance from 
one of my brothers. I'm walking distance from my mother. I'm, you know, a short drive from one of my brothers. And my sister's about 20 minutes ago. And only Katrina's in New York. So, <laughs> you know, I love that feeling of connectedness. But you didn't think you wanted, actually. But, no. Yeah. Like, Tony was much more into the idea of moving back to Ireland than I was. Like, he's English. And he was just really, come on. And I, you know, I hated the sense of claustrophobia of living here in the 80s. It just, it, I found it really unbearable. And I was afraid it would be, it would have the same effect on me. And now I do know, like, you can do nothing in Ireland without getting caught. But I love, I love that you can't go anywhere without meeting either someone you know or someone who's related to someone you know. Like, I, I value that so much. Like, I know Ireland has its faults, but I love living here. Listen, let's go back to the first home you remember, your first childhood home and where it was and what it was like. Okay, um, it was in Cork. And it was in an estate that had just been built. And it was a three-bedroom semi. I lived there till I was eight. Oh God, I can't remember that much. I mean, I remember that there was a sort of a really good front room that you never, ever, ever got to go in with brown drail on uh, couch and all. There was a kind of a, a more relaxed sitting room in the back that had tinton on the floor. You probably don't even know what that I don't is. Know what it's this kind is. of rough, carpety thing that isn't really carpet, like... If you knelt in it, you'd get sort of Grazed. burn marks. Yeah. yeah. Sort of it's grim. Do you know what I mean? It's really like, you know, no luxuries here. You know, it was very kind of, of of its time. Austere. Austere. Yeah. And we had this tiny little telly in there. And then there was a yellow press in the kitchen. You know, there was no such thing as fitted kitchens or anything like that. And there was a little, a little Formica table. There was a small back garden and... There was a Morris Minor out the front and and everything was black and white. <laughs> you know, like it felt like there was no colour whatsoever. Um, and did you move a lot then as, as a kid? Yeah, then after after that, I was eight and a half and we moved to Cavan. And we were there for five months. Um, and my mother sort of lo- lost her reason. And this was sort of 1971, I think. And it was just, I mean, it was in a really horrible time for Ireland because the troubles had started and... I think internment without trial had been introduced by the British government and either the British army had arrived or were about to arrive. You know, to live in a border town, I think was very frightening. I mean, it was terrible. Like I remember like in school, one of the girls, her dad was shot. Like this was in Cavan. And so we lasted there for five months before. She just couldn't have She just couldn't. And Um, why were you moving a bit? Because my dad's job. So somehow he got a job in Galway. So like after five months, we moved there and they bought a house, but the house wasn't ready. So we lived in another house that was also not ready. So what I remember was like concrete floors and concrete everything and nothing finished. And and then we moved into our house and that, I don't know, it was a kind of a weird time. My mother wasn't well. You know, she had really bad bouts of depression around then and... Um, also, she was really physically unwell. She'd done something terrible. She'd pulled discs in her back and was in plaster from like her neck to her to her thighs, you know, and she was in terrible pain and she was in hospital. And my dad had got another job in Dublin. So he was like commuting Monday to Friday, you know, so sort of the ages from eight to 11 were weird. 
And then when I was 11, nearly 12, we moved to Dublin and in the same house that my mother is still in today. So that was like, oh my God, more than 40 years ago. And tell us about that house because you tweet about it a lot yeah. because you're there a lot and you yeah. still, like you are very close to it from this yeah. house. But what kind of a home did your mother make? And um, I know your, your dad died just there before yeah. Christmas. So him, the both of them, what, what was the setup of the home? Okay, well, it was very traditional in that like he'd go out to work and, you know, and she'd be in charge of operations at home. And like I've often said this, I really feel that my mother is incredibly talented and really gifted and she never got that opportunity to exercise her creative gifts. You know, she's like quite naturally, I think, like any normal person, not interested in ironing and cleaning. I mean, Jesus, who in their right mind would be? I mean, I'm not denigrating those who who take pleasure in a clean house, but very few people kind of think of oh, fantastic I'll be getting up now I'll be hoovering the hall I just I can't wait you know like and we had thousands of people in the house all the time and she got on really well with young people like that's what she craved the crack and the chat and so like loads of people used to come to our house at lunchtime for their lunch like people that weren't entirely attached to me or my brothers like I mean I'm still really friendly but like one of them works in the Irish Times like Emmett Malone and Connor Ferguson you know they used to come to the house every day at lunchtime to see ma'am just the kitchen at lunchtime and people would be there making their own toast and making their own coffee and she had a well-stocked kitchen would that be fair no, it wouldn't. Not at that time, because she has the well-stocked freezer Freezer now. now. No, but it was the same then, it was the freezer. It was always the freezer, yeah. yeah. That's what I mean, yeah. though. She had stuff yeah. that everyone could like, defrost. Yeah, her. crispy pancakes. Yes, That yes. was luxury. Jesus, that was deluxe. Yeah. You know, that was like the pinnacle. Every Saturday, my dad used to go down to Anne's Hot Bread Shop in Dunleary, and then you'd see, a, a, like, about 40 enormous baguettes making their way up Patrick Street and it would look like there was a whole gang of them running away and then eventually you'd see a man behind them and it was dad carrying them and so then he'd get home and he'd cut them all into pieces that were about four inches long you know slice them in half put them in bags in the freezer and so we lived in these we used to make French bread pizzas we used to we make used our own. We used to make French. Yeah. My mum used to do yes. that. Yes, That's really funny. That sounds very um, sophisticated for its day. But was it because we were making our own version yeah. of the frozen birds? The like, very fr- thing. That's what we were doing. Yeah, we were doing the yellow pack version because we'd no money. Like, I mean, there was never enough money in the house. So yeah, you'd make your own pizza with the frozen bread and the, the tomato puree and the, um, the plastic cheese. I mean, Jesus, this is living, you know, French bread. Did you have your own room? No, you no, had to share. I didn't, so no, who did you share no. with them? What was I shared the setup with Katrina. And we had two single beds and then Niall and Tyg shared a room. And then Rita Ann, Rita Ann was our hope, do you see? Rita Ann was really brainy, also well behaved. So Rita Ann was like Baxter upstairs. Rita Ann had to be, you know, I'm only joking, but Rita Ann is incredibly brainy. Um, I don't know why she got the single room and, and, um, and the fillet steaks and everything. And the rest of us only getting the French bread pizza. I'm joking about that. I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking. <laughs> Escape the Ordinary with Green and Blacks, sponsor of Back to Yours. Made with the finest ingredients and ethically sourced cocoa. Discover your favourite flavour from the range, which includes 70% cocoa, roasted almond, salted caramel, sea salt and mint. Were you the kind of person who was dying to leave home, Marion? Kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. I wanted to leave Ireland. 
I mean, Jesus, you've no idea how awful it was here in the 80s. Like, it was, I just think of it, I just think of it as like it's always pelting rain and in black and white. It was like, you know, Boulevard of Broken Dreams. Like, it was so economically deprived. The church ran everything. There were no jobs. There was no hope. It was just, it was awful. And everybody knew everything about everyone. And I went to London and it was just Well, you went to college. Did you stay at home when you were in UCD? Oh, yeah. Yeah. The thought of leaving home would just have been, A, I wouldn't have been let because of what I might get up to. And B, there was no money. You know, like it would have been out of the question. So after college was when you... you Yeah, I went to London. Then I lived at the top floor, the 21st floor of a squat in in Stoke Newington. Fabulous. You're looking very wistful oh, when you talk God, about that squash. Oh, God, it was squash. great. Some people might be like, squash. Oh, it oh, was, yeah. but it was amazing. It was thrilling. Like, A, it was a squash. <laughs> Do you know, I mean, I kind of need say no more. I just thought, my God, I'm so edgy. Like, this is fabulous. <laughs> and um, I went on the dole and they gave me money. And it was just great, you know, and it was, I stayed with my friend Connor, who was gay, and my poor dad, like, didn't know which was worse, that I was staying with a man or that I was staying with a man who was gay. Like, they, they were both so terrible that they sort of doubled each other rather than cancelled each other out. Um, and we just had a fabulous what time. What was the squat like? Was it, it was awful. messy and yeah, damp? There was a, no, 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 it wasn't damp. But all, no, you see, it was modern. Like, and it was on the 21st floor, so it had beautiful views. Beautiful views over, like, like miles over London. Like, it was higher than anything else for, like, miles and miles around. And, like, all you could see was the sky. We had one armchair. We used to take turns in uh, sitting it. We had a mattress. Like, it was fantastically squalid, really. There was graffiti on the walls from a previous occupant. It was just fantastic. And you were on the dole? Yeah. Like, the the on the dole thing only lasted for about two weeks. Oh. (laughs) Yeah. And then I thought, oh, Jesus, I better get a job. You know, because that kind of work ethic what would they call it, embedded, like, at a, a you know, very kind of deep in me. But it was wonderful. Like, it really feckin' was, you know. Did you live in the squat when you had the job or did you get oh, a place? I got a job in, um, in a, as a waitress. So, they yeah, they were great. I'd get the night bus home. I felt like I was living on the kind of the margins of society. Like, I'd be getting up and everybody else was going to bed sort of a thing. Mm. You know, thinking I was fabulous. I didn't have much to compare it with. And then when did you have your first sort of share, shared home apart from the squat? The, yeah, the first proper one was, um, again, Connor, my friend Connor has just moved back to Ireland. Hello, Connor. And our other friend, Patricia, who lives in Cornwall now. Yeah, the three of us, we got a flat together in, in a place in London called Maid of Ale. Oh, very and it was fancy. Just, and we were like, it was a mansion block. But even then, like, I would never have spent any money on anything to do with the house or the home or anything. Like any money I had went on shoes and things for taking the frizz out of your hair <laughs> or or alcohol. You know, like it just seemed insane that you would spend good money on a pillowcase or, you know, or a picture, you mental. Like, no. Like it took me a long time before that became a priority. And then when... Do, things got a bit bad for you in London and things got yeah. a bit... Where were you living then? I was still in, yeah, I was still in Maid of Vale. Were in that it, flat? No, it was in different a different one. one. Um, I lived in three flats in Maid of Vale all together. And at the end, it was me and my friend Suzanne. And funny enough, the flat was really beautiful. It was much higher up. It was on the fifth floor. And because we were up that bit higher, you saw a lot of the sky as well. 
yeah, but like that was definitely where the kind of the the crash and burn of my alcoholism happened. So I I got sober in the January and then by, I think it was the June, our lease was up. And by then Susanna and I had decided that we'd go our separate ways. Tell us a bit about your flatmate relationship with Susanna because you're still very good friends yeah, with her. So yeah, yeah, yeah. When you think about it, even though it was a very yeah, difficult time for yeah, you and things yeah. were out of control, what was yeah. your kind of flatmate relationship like? See, for a long time it was so much fun. You know, like she's such a laugh and she still is. And I mean, she's been very forgiving, you know, like not everybody would be and and they would have every right not to. But yeah, it was real like, you know, Sauvignon Blanc and the crack and the Warrington was the pub we used to go to. And, you know, we kind of we knew a lot of people from around Maidavale. Like it was very good fun for a lot of the time. You know, I suppose it was the last maybe nine months that things were really grim. And like, and she was telling me that I had um, a problem, but I don't know. It's a, you know, denial is a big part of it. And I just didn't want, I didn't want to think I had. So I didn't. But then after I came back, after being in the, the treatment center to the flat, I just knew that like it couldn't continue. So you came to Ireland and then? I got, yeah, and went to rehab in Ireland and then went back to London and we finished out the lease. And you thought you could sort of pick up and, and live your sober life yeah. back in the same place yeah. and yeah. carry on, but it yeah. just didn't feel... No, it didn't. Like, we had come to the end of something. And, I mean, it's funny, like, we are still great friends, me and Suzanne. Like, you know, I'm godmother to her daughter and, you know, I'm going over to London next week and we're already making plans. You know, and every time I see her, it's as if no time has passed since the last time. She's just really light-hearted and sort of upbeat and it's if you know it's lovely to have those friendships that have you know she saw me at my very worst and she still cares about me and I feel so lucky for that we have to bring in Tony a bit I think oh yeah 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 I would have met him around yeah around the time no like I knew him anyway but we had started going out as friends you know around the time that the lease came to the end and it was really weird. I needed somewhere to live. And I didn't know how, because I mean, the idea of like affording a place in London on your own is like even back then, and this was 25 years ago, like was like risible. But somebody was looking out for me because I ended up minding a flat for for somebody who was away for a long time. But it was in, oh, wait till you hear, it was in Notting Hill. Oh my God. And the, and the parade used to go past my window. And when I'd be coming home from work every day, um, I'd have to walk down Portobello Road. Was it like a Richard Curtis movie? It was, it was, it was just like it. And, you know, I'd be passing all the antique stalls, like anytime oh, yeah. I'd go out to get milk or whatever. And it was just, it was like the most magical, incredibly wonderful time. And so I had my little flat and for the first time in my life, I mean, I still had no money, but I used to go, I see, I still love charity shops, secondhand jokes, like bric-a-brac sales and things like that. So like I found lovely curtains at, in, in those places and, and candles and I'm, it was, you know, I never Was it the start of you kind of caring about yes, the place you lived in? Yeah, you? yeah, because I had a completely different attitude to myself. Love, I wanted my home to be comfortable and inviting and cheery and a reflection of me you know my home had always just been a place where I operated my drinking out of but this was an entirely different shift 
in how I thought about where I lived. And I wasn't there for that long. I was probably there for about eight months. And by then I had met Tony and that got really serious really fast. So I moved in with him. He had his own flat and I decided we were going to nest, (laughs) you know. So um, like we painted, we painted the living room this kind of incredible Prussian blue that the sort of blue that's so intense it nearly vibrates had you kind of realized at this point that you needed the color no I didn't I didn't I mean this was just all part of kind of experimental right you know I felt like an adult for the first time in my life this is where you paint things you paint walls (laughs) when you're an adult that's what you do you know instead of going out and getting scuttered at the weekend you paint you paint your flat yeah my focus became very homey but I you know I suppose I knew that I was never going to be a Magnolia person. Like, I just wasn't. And you'd started writing. Was yeah. it Tony's flat or the other little flat where you actually started It was the other little flat. Yeah, it was. Yeah. So I'm sort of glad that all of that happened when I was on my own. You know, that I can kind of say that happened in, at a time in my life when I wasn't being propped up by anything or anyone. Like, that that was completely me that did it. You eventually did decide to come home, even yeah. though you weren't that keen. No, I wasn't keen at all. Black and white memories yeah. and all that. But Tony was raring Yeah, to you see, because back. like long before I'd met him, like he loved people like Christy Moore and he read Flan O'Brien and he was very kind of disposed yeah. to Irish people. Um, and he sees all the lovely things about us, like, you know, our, our music and our gift of storytelling and our warmth and our chattiness. Um but I, I mean, one of the things that really bothered me was the power of the church. And like, it was funny, after we moved in here um, to this house, didn't a priest arrived with them with an envelope looking for money? Um, it's the Jews, you know, it's called that. I think they do it twice a year. And it was very, it's very interesting. Conditioning is very interesting because I was looking at this, this envelope and I'm thinking, I despise the Catholic church. I loathe what they do. And yet I feel I still have to give them money. Do you know, there was that feeling of like, I'll get into trouble if Mm. I don't do it. Tony is fantastic because he wasn't brought up with any of that. He's like, no, no, why would we? And I was like, oh, Jesus, I don't know. But look, we'll be blacklisted in the community and uh, nobody would be our friend. And no, no, like, so we didn't. You also have a home in the West. In the West, Yes. And why did you want to have a, a boat hole out there by the sea? It's in Lynch. Yeah, it's in Lynch in County Clare. See, um, Old Woman Keys is from Clare. And we used to go to Lynch for our holidays every year as um, as Poshti. But like well into adulthood, we we used to still go there. Like the first time um, Tony and I sort of went away together, I took him to Lynch. And it was very much a kind of, if he doesn't love it here, I'm afraid it's no go. Um, but then I can't understand why anyone wouldn't love it. You know, so we were still going down every summer um, and hiring houses and stuff. And then it was 1999 again when like houses were being built on postage stamps of land and some houses were being built in Lahincham. And so we went in with my brothers and sisters and um, and we bought this house that's kind of overlooking the sea. and um, And it's used year round. Like lots of people go down. I mean, people are down there now. My sister-in-law, my my Serbian sister-in-law is down there now. But, you know, people go down for New Year's Eve. I would prefer to go in, in winter rather than summer because I just, I like, I like Anthony a bit bleak. You know, I like, 
I like empty towns and I like the waves and oh. And what I'm asking everyone on this podcast is about what home means to them. What what is it that you would describe it as? What's the feeling or what what does that word conjure up for you? You see, I feel that the world is very brutal. You know, it demands an awful lot of adrenaline from us. I think most of us when we're out there, we feel on some level like we're fighting a war. Well, I do. You know, I find everything, find traffic very frightening. You know, like that kind of constant anxiety and constantly on your guard. And when I come home, I feel safe. It's like recovery. You know, all that adrenaline can settle down. And I can feel calm again. I mean, one of the things I really value is not having to talk to people because I know I talk a lot, but I'm actually, I'm incredibly introverted. Like I get my energy from quietness. I mean, I can do well with people up to a point, but I, you know, I, I just, I feel so strongly about homelessness in our country. I I think about women who get up in the morning with their children and they have to leave wherever they are, wherever they slept the previous night. And they are, you know, turfed out onto the streets to take care of themselves in whatever way they can find until hopefully there is a bed for them tonight. And it's that feeling of having nowhere to return to, to, to re, refuel your energy or to, or to calm or to, to like touch um make contact with yourself i just think it's i mean apart from the obvious horribleness of you know being without a proper bed or shelter but that feeling of having nowhere where your children can do their homework you know or where you can sit at a table and have a cup of tea without feeling i can only stay here for another 10 minutes they're going to throw me out it's that feeling of yeah it's there is something in the idea of this space is mine. It is mine to take care of myself as best I can and nobody can take it from me. Nobody is going to oust me. When you're having more challenging times in recent years when yeah. your health was suffering, yeah. how important was that that sense it, of the, even the walls just being in a place oh, that was, when, it was, when the world felt yeah. very scary, I suppose? Like when during the worst of my rickety mental health, I I couldn't leave this house and I am so grateful to it because it minded me like I felt safe in here. I, I mean, I joke about saying like lying on the couch watching the telly is my happy place, but it literally is like even now, like of an evening when I when I take my position, you know, <laughs> I can feel I can feel, you know, I calm down like I feel calm and I feel safe. I feel um, and uplifted, like it's funny, but it ma- this house and my bed, like often at night, you know, I think about people who are trying to sleep in a doorway on cardboard and I, I just feel so lucky to have a pillow, you know, something soft to put my head on and something warm to, to warm my body with. Like, I will never overestimate how lucky I am because I am so lucky. And I think, you know, 
I feel like in many ways I live a kind of a sliding door sort of life. If I hadn't got sober when I was 30, I probably, if I was still alive even, I would be one of those people in the doorway. And I never thought I'd have a home of my own. And I never thought I'd have a style. Do you know what I mean? That like, <laughs> that I could say, oh yeah, people would look at me and go, oh yeah, you'd like that sort of yeah. thing. Do you know, I, I know. never thought those things would come to me. I just thought they would happen to other people, but they would never happen to me. I have to ask you about the fact that this home is your workplace as well. Yeah. And tell us a bit about your, how you make the place that you live uh, also a, an office, a working okay. place as well. You see, I don't think, I'm, I really don't think buying a huge big mahogany desk is going to make me write any better. <laughs> no. See, I think there's a load of codswallop kind of attached to the myth of being a writer. Like, I have a table and a chair and a, and a, and a little computer. And I mean, even that's kind of unnecessary. You know, the kitchen table will do me grand. And I like that where I live is where I work because it's very easy. You know, like I don't have to get dressed. That's, oh God, I love that. <laughs> like I would never get dressed. I would never get out of bed really um, if I had any say in it. Are you an entertainer, Marion? Do you have people around this No, table? I don't. I don't. The only people I have around are... Family. Family, yeah. I mean, I find it very nerve-wracking. I can't do that thing of taking people's coats, offering them a drink, <laughs> directing them to the kitchen, um, storing the whatever I have on the hob all at the same time. Some I, people are really good at it. They're really good at it and it yeah. makes me want to cry. <laughs> no, I like on a Sunday at the moment, dem babies come over like my mother and my sisters and brothers come with their babies and, and me and himself. And yesterday we ordered from Mao. And when the food comes, the bag gets fecked in the middle of the square table here. And then it is like feeding time at the zoo. Like they're literally, especially the boys, are ripping the bags and pulling and tearing the lids off things, want to find their things. <laughs> and everything gets eaten really fast. And people are afraid that other people will eat their food. <laughs> and that makes me really happy. I like that they are, that they're wild and bad-mannered and... <laughs> And that they're themselves, do you know? And that's my idea of entertaining. Now, you've told me your happy place is the sitting room uh, in, on the sofa, yeah. watching the telly. Where else will we find you if you're trying to cheer yourself up and, you know, treat yourself well and be nice to yourself? Where in your home is your Oh, like my bed. Place? Like, to lie in bed and and with my, my what do you call that thing, tablet. Just... The tablet as in the yeah, screen, yes. not, not tablets. No, although, I mean, if they're going. Um, I mean, I certainly won't say no, but no, being online, in bed. I mean, it doesn't get any better. I know I'm not supposed to say that, sure I'm not. So I sit, <laughs> I sit out on the, um, the edge of the water feature and I meditate upon life. You know, and all that I've been given, all that I could have lost, all of the good souls in my life, all the souls I've said goodbye to. No, I don't. I go in bed, to bed and I go online and I look at Zara. Like I do. Marion Keith, thank you very much. <laughs> Pleasure. <laughs> but I do. <laughs> that was Marion Keys there and the very first episode of Back to Yours. And remember to subscribe to the podcast wherever you get them so you don't miss a single episode. Next time, my guest on Back to Yours is another best-selling Irish author, John Boyne. So would you say this is the house that the Boyne striped pyjamas bought, in a way? I call it the house that Bruno built, which okay. is probably a bit terrible, but, you know, in my head I call it that. So. <laughs> <laughs>